Welcome to Emirates Podcast, episode number 154. This is your host, Suman Silwal. In this podcast, I talk to Brody Sarp from all the way from Melbourne, Australia. He's our first Australian guest. In this podcast, we talked about running, running injuries, preventing those injuries, strength training, and more. Do enjoy the podcast. Please do share this podcast. It helps this podcast to get to more listeners runners so thanks for listening thanks for being out there enjoy the podcast i would like to welcome brody sarpram runs podcast uh, brody from all the way from down under australia brody welcome to emrun's podcast thank you very much for having me i'm excited to be on definitely um what time it is is it tomorrow already for you for us it will be tomorrow yes um <laughs> midday here in melbourne australia uh i'm i'm in the central time zone it's about seven o'clock here uh yesterday for you so so definitely it's interesting thanks for contacting me want to be in the emrun's podcast and uh, it'll be great to have uh, some australian input and our emrun's and emrun's audience uh to listen some of the things you will talk about before we go on uh as you see what 2020 had brought and what 2021 is bringing what's the situation like for you down under in, in regards to like the pandemic and things yeah definitely. yeah so we have um like our government and laws have kept things extremely strict so we've experienced um a couple of waves of lockdown at the moment but compared to what the rest of the world are experiencing in terms of positive cases we've kept things extremely low we've just recently last week had an outbreak but it's been like a couple of cases i think we had a um 66 days in our state of having zero confirmed cases and as soon as there's a few positive cases we shut everything down it seems but our goal is to stay at zero as much as we can and slowly open things up as restrictions ease and then just paying attention to how things go but every state is different in Australia and so we have probably one of the most dense populations so we we keep very much um in close eye on how things are going but yeah i'm blessed that we've taken the extreme approach early and got cases down to zero and then we're just yeah fighting single numbers it seems definitely sounds like a great improvement uh what about the vaccine what's the vaccine situation there we've ordered it and it's going to be i think similar to the rest of the world we have um we're going to be rolling it out in waves and prioritizing it to certain populations first and then slowly rolling it out but i think um i don't pay too much attention to the news these days it seems to all be doom and gloom so i don't watch it too much <laughs> but um i think we got the visa vaccine which should be available in a few months there's a similar situation here my take on uh, my previous podcast i talk about if i get an option to take a vaccine i'll probably do it and and see where it takes us you know and so being uh being in 2020 2021 now you know i used to travel for running a lot a lot more around the world you know around the country but um but i'm home you know my my area of running right now uh, like about 20 <laughs> <You're> stuck yeah <laughs> i ran marathon distance uh, pretty close to my house and uh, in the state park but you know that's uh, that i could i do what i what i can so <laughs> <laughs> we manage we're adaptable creatures <laughs> yeah definitely as soon as everything opens up i'm back on the road kind of getting a cabin fever so so definitely uh, it'll be great to have things opened up and 
and maybe I can visit to Australia and run run the Sydney Marathon. I think that was on my list and still on my list to come down and. So let's uh, let's move on to our podcast. Uh, talking about discussion, tell us about your background. Uh, you briefly pre-interview you you told me about your background, and you do have a podcast and listen to some of those. And uh, let's uh, let's talk about your background. Uh, I um, graduated from physiotherapy in 2012, so that's the equivalent of a physical therapist there in the states. I actually. I grew up having a basketball background and so didn't become a runner until about two or three years into my physio career um, when my sister asked me to like train with her for a half marathon and decide to, to give it a go and quickly caught the bug. But then even more quickly, um, sort of had a deeper passion once I started seeing runners in my clinic. So loved running, quickly caught the bug, learned everything about it. And then once I um, had an injured runner, in my clinic, I just had this heightened passion to try and get them back to running pain-free and get them achieving their goals. And so felt like that heightened passion in me and wanted to try and chase that and recognize that it's bringing out my better self as well as getting really good results for my clients. And so decided to explore more options of how I could educate more people, how I could debunk a lot of running myths that are out there because I did recognize I was constantly educating runners on the same misconceptions that they have and the same misunderstandings that they have about certain injuries. And so decided to create the podcast. So it's called the Run Smarter Podcast because I aim to try and help runners make smarter training decisions because most of running injuries are due to training errors. And so if we are more educated and we have a better understanding of why we get injured or if we do have symptoms, what to do to settle it as quickly as we can, then we're surviving and thriving as runners. And so that's been the mission of the podcast and that's led to where I am today. Definitely. I have listened to a couple of your podcasts. Uh, I'm pretty new to uh, your podcast. Uh, so in the coming days, definitely I'll listen to more and pretty interesting topic. Uh, so, uh, you know, in, in my life, some of you know or some of you don't, but I started late uh, uh, running in late in my life in the late 30s, almost 40s. Talk about that. Um, back in days, every pain used to be injuries. Uh, so so <laughs> nowadays, I just, if I have pain, I just run through it. So so before we go on, the, I want you to talk about difference. How do you distinguish between a, a nagging pain versus injuries? Uh, how, you know, sometimes we just run through those and Sometimes we take too much rest uh, for a pain that is not an injury. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, good start. So there is, I guess, there are the symptoms for good pain. Sometimes we like pain, just generic muscle soreness, because that's how we get stronger. And most people recognize if they do, say, a gym exercise or they do a gym class or go for a run that's far beyond what they have um, experienced before, the next day their muscles might be a little bit sore. And that's just pretty much the body adapting to what you're putting it through. It's saying, okay, it's a little bit too much, um, time to rebuild, recover. And there are ways that we can pay attention to the different types of symptoms to see if it's good pain or if it's actually bad pain developing into an injury. And we separate them into the good pain being what we call delayed onset muscle soreness. Uh, so that's just the body, the muscles themselves are regenerating in order to become stronger. Usually those delayed onset muscle soreness symptoms would be, most of all, it's affecting the muscles, so not a ligament, not a joint. 
it's usually quite widespread. So it's usually the whole muscle usually generate that soreness when you, um, it's usually the next day after doing an exercise and it's usually during stretching that muscle, it tends to feel a bit sore, but it quickly resolves two to three days. It's back to its normal state. And we could interpret those as saying that's kind of like our good pain. However, our bad pain, which would lead to an injury, in most cases will be um, in terms of location. Sometimes it is specific to like a joint or specific to a tendon or a ligament. You can usually like pinpoint it with a finger. It's not like widespread. It can come on during a run. It can come on straight after a run or it can come on the next day. So there are the all the kind of time frames that they do come on. And then like with the good pain that settles within two or three days, this one if it's persisting beyond five days or a week, it's definitely not going to be that good pain because the body isn't recovering. It's actually displaying that it is a bit injured. And sometimes people will say, okay, well, perhaps it's good pain. Then you ask how long they've had it for and they've had it for a couple of weeks. It's definitely not good pain because the body has tried to recover and it just hasn't. But then like you're saying, um, people in their say 40s, 50s, 60s, they tend to have stiff joints that that they can just run through. Sometimes they feel like if they run and warm up, it actually feels better. That will all depend. You need to kind of follow their symptoms along a a bit more of a timeline to see, okay, are they getting better? If you are running week by week and you're noticing those symptoms are getting more getting worse, like they're becoming more severe or lasting for longer and longer after a run, or you're waking up feeling stiffer and stiffer the next day, that's when we need to sort of start paying attention to what your training schedule is like, what the intensity of your training schedules are like, because you might just be overdoing it a little bit. Definitely. Uh, talking about a good pain, uh, that's a great point. You know, we uh, some, some of us thrive for some of those good pain um, <laughs> because uh, that's kind of drug after effect. Uh, so, so those bad pain that will come through and stay, stick around. Those kind of situations, when you uh, go through a week, week, weeks, and I, I have gone through sometimes months and six months, you know, I'm kind of, I can feel it slowly recovering. You know, sometimes I can, I know when, when I, when injury or some sort of injury came into, <laughs> came in and I had an injury and then it's, uh, I don't know when it, when it went away. Uh, a lot of time I just continue to run. The intensity is less. What do you advise on people if, um, you know, they're, you know, the runners are stubborn people and uh, we, <laughs> we continue running, you know, even uh, even we know that we're not supposed to do. What do you advise in those those situations? Yeah, it's it can be tricky at, at times because if you just listen to your body, sometimes it can come up with inaccurate symptoms. Let's just say for a, a tendon, if you have a, a tendon that's sore, sometimes that warms up during a run and you actually can run pain-free while you're actually doing damage. So this is one of the steps I um, educate people on my podcast is trying to how how to interpret symptoms because if you have plantar fasciitis or Achilles issues, um, especially in the early days of the pathology, you could be waking up, hobbling around a little bit, feeling a little bit stiff, but once you have warmed up, it tends to go away. And you could be like, say, for the first half mile of your run, you could start feeling it. But as the tissue warms up and as you start applying more load through it, symptoms can go away. And you can almost interpret that as, oh, running must be fine for it. Running must be um, doing good for it if symptoms are reduced and symptoms have gone away so then you go for a run and then once you've cooled down you're like oh there it is it's back again actually it's probably a bit worse and then you wake up the next morning and you're hobbling worse than what you did the next the day before and you're like oh probably why isn't it getting better but then you go back to your run 
and you run once you've warmed up again it's pain-free and you yeah so you can often misinterpret these symptoms that are going on whereas what i get my runners to do is definitely pay attention over 24 hours um, what symptoms are like because if you wake up and you're hobbling around that's a sign that what you've done for the last 24 hours may have been too much and so you have to not only just interpret symptoms during your run but you need to also document symptoms before the run after the run and the next day to know if you have successfully negotiated that running dosage you know injuries um something as uh, something i don't even like to talk about too much because you know like they say you know it'll bring you a bad luck if you talk too much but <laughs> but it, it is part of our life we're marathon or ultra marathoners uh you know, further you go, the more injury, injury prone we are. And, you know, I have seen my friends going through, I go myself, go through myself. So, you know, distance wise, uh, so I'm thinking like even, even if you run shorter distance, the injury is already always there. Um, you know, how do we, um, uh, prevent, uh, some common injuries, uh, uh, that, that we, we get, uh, so to that, that way, you know, at least in the minimum, we can uh, prevent those uh, those type of injuries, common injuries, um, you know, beyond soreness. Yeah. And if you look at the research in terms of what type of runners get injured, you can hardly find a correlation regarding what types of shoes they wear, what their weekly mileage is like, what their long run is like, how fast they are, how elite they are. If you look at these certain characteristics, there's essentially no correlation to a link to someone getting injured. And so the runners who are doing their five mile weekend run compared to the ones who are training for a marathon, they all get injured at the same rate. And this is one of the universal principles I always teach. It's that as an individual, you need to make sure that you're not doing too much too soon, or you're not putting the body through too much change because the body does a really good job of adapting to the environment you put it through. However, if you um, make an abrupt change in your training, that's when your risk of injury will spike through the roof. And most people can recognize that abrupt changes might be running too fast and not really preparing for it, running too far, like increasing your mileage too much, doing too much too soon. But then there's a lot of little intrinsic changes, abrupt changes that might happen that you're not aware of. So terrain, so you could be going from running flats to doing too many hills too quickly. You could have a change in um, equipment, like if you've changed your running shoes to a different type of shoe that you're not used to and decide to do all your running in that too quickly. Um, that can lead to an increased risk of injury. You could maybe not recover. So you could have kept your training consistent throughout the whole entire week, but the only change that's happened is you're not sleeping as well as you should. We're not getting the same nutrition as you should, or your stress levels are through the roof compared to your normal week that means that the body is unable to recover as much as it usually does. So you're still overtraining because you're under-recovering. These universal principles, I call these within my podcast, the hidden dangers, and that is sleep, nutrition, and stress because people pay attention to their mileage, people pay attention to their Strava um, stats, but don't pay attention to those hidden dangers. And if they're affected, that could increase your risk of injury. Definitely. Uh, as ultra-distance runner, uh, sleeping is... Less sleeping. Some sometimes we practice that uh, because that comes handy when you run hundred mile. Or sleep is the number one recovery strategy that you can come up with. You can, if you um, say, get up early to stretch, foam roll, and 
um, have a good meal, you will not get the same benefit as if you were to stay in bed and sleep for an extra 20, 30 minutes. Sometimes I feel like a luxury. Older you get, less I sleep. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I try my best to go to sleep. Uh, but and I always say that on podcasts as well. Like, if you have the luxury to sleep more, I know people have kids. I know people have has have work to go to, like full time job. Some others may have the luxury of increasing their sleep um, or fitting in a nap during the day. That's also a luxury that's quite effective. But yeah, definitely, I understand people have busy lives and a lot of commitments and uh, increasing your sleep might not be as easy as um, it is for some. Yeah, definitely. I'm a, I'm a napper. Um, after work, you know, usually enjoy my nap. So that's why yes. my nightly sleep may be less, but, uh, but maybe overall, maybe no. There are studies out there to show that napping can be really effective if you are deprived in sleep, if you're not getting enough sleep during the night, having naps during the day can be a really nice strategy to help compensate for that. Definitely. My 100-miler uh, that is coming up in a month and a half or so, um, I have literally have a nap break uh, between when I reach 50 miles or so, start taking a nap break and so on. It, it helps me. So let's uh, let's move on. I really had a question uh, here. A friend of mine just texted me. Uh, he was talking about his knee he still have knee pain. Uh, he was asking me for two suggestions, and I have some ideas. Uh, my problem here is, uh, you know, most of the things we talk about, muscle, muscle pains. Uh, but once you get to the bones, uh, that gets tricky, correct? Yeah, well, knee pain is the most common location for runners um, to get injured. And a lot of the time, the most common diagnosis for knee pain in runners is what we call patellofemoral pain. And it's almost pain around the kneecap. It's something that's very common. You know, a lot of time uh, when, it, when it comes to knee, uh, uh, knee pain in a runner's knees, and I, I kind of get lost. Uh, some, Sometimes you can run through the knee pain. That's, that's for sure. I haven't, I haven't had that much uh, knee pain. Uh, I've been lucky. I, most of mine is uh, uh, related to more muscle muscle pain or muscle injuries and stuff. So let's talk about a little bit about knee pains or joints. Yeah. So if we're honing in on the knee and we're talking about patellofemoral pain, like all injuries, if you're thinking, God, what might have caused it, it's almost always an abrupt change in your training. You're doing too much too soon and you're exceeding your body's capacity to adapt. Like within a runner, there'll be a certain load that you can tolerate and as soon as you exceed that, you're increasing your likelihood of injury. With patellofemoral pain, so this kneecap pain, there is a lot of myths around the cause. There's a lot of myths around treatment, particularly when I graduated as well. We thought of this kneecap pain as, because the kneecap's this floating bit of bone in front of your knee that's influenced by muscle, by fascia, by ligaments. It's just floating there, and it's kind of just sitting in its groove. And we used to think that the influence of the muscles, the muscles might be quite weak, which would drift it out of position. We might think that the ITB or the fascia that's surrounding it might be a bit too tight, and that pulls it in a certain direction so that when you're impacting the ground or when you're doing squats or lunges, the kneecap itself is mildly being pulled out of position, and that's what's causing the pain. And what we were once told is for treatment, we need to release anything that's tight and we need to strengthen anything that's weak to realign this kneecap back into its position so that your function can then operate. But we now know through evidence that that is not the case and that is often a myth that is still floating around the um, 
the Facebook groups and the global consciousness of treating uh, knee pain because what it is is a um, it's in most cases just a spike in load. And if you, say, go from running 50 miles a week to running 80 miles a week, that's just exceeded the capacity and the knee joint itself is going to start getting sore because it can't tolerate it. So what we do for treatment is we temporarily back off that mileage doesn't necessarily mean we have to stop completely, but we back off that mileage maybe to 50 or 40 miles per week, wait for symptoms to settle, and then build up your strength and then slowly build that mileage back up, working within a capacity that you can tolerate and working within a capacity where the body will adapt and get stronger. It can be that simple. There are some treatments that can be effective um, in the short term to settle down settle down this knee pain it can be things like massage it can be things like light stretching it can be things like dry needling these have all been shown to settle down the pain but will do nothing to position the kneecap any differently and we now know if someone out there is talking about their itb is too tight and they need to release it with foam rolling and stretches we know that the structure of your itb which is this big thick band on the outside of your thigh it's way too thick way too fibrous with no muscle components in order to stretch it. So you're not going to be able to stretch it. And I remember when I was at uni, there was a surgeon who came in and talked about when they have to do surgery and cut through this ITB, it actually blunts their scalpel. That's how stiff and how tough that fiber actually is. You're not going to be releasing anything if you push a foam roller into it and roll it around, or if you get someone to dig their elbows into it, or if you stretch you're definitely not going to stretch anything it might feel better it might help alleviate your symptoms but we're not creating any length so that's a, a big myth that um, needs to be addressed but yeah with the the knee pain itself it's all about backing off letting symptoms symptoms settle down building up the strength and slowly having a, a nice methodical program in place that we're slowly building up the capacity of your knee to tolerate more and more and more and get back to where you were previously running and then just beyond with a more um, systematic approach. Definitely. Um, I see a lot of lot of time people start using the, you know, knee braces or some, some sort of things you can find in the, you know, sports uh, stores or, you know, I don't know how, how much helpful they are or started switching the shoes again. So what do you think about those approaches as well to, you know, not have that many miles, but still try to, you know, go some miles. And some some people, once they have knee pain, we don't want them to completely stop running or exercising. So if we're talking about a runner who has had severe long-term knee pain or constantly getting knee pain, we can look at other measures to help reduce the likelihood of knee pain coming up. I don't like braces. I think you can just build up a strength program so that you're able to tolerate it because what you're doing with a brace is you're protecting that area and it almost gets weaker if you protect it too much so you'll be pain-free and you'll be able to run but you're compensating with your other joints taking on more load while you're protecting this other joint and so i definitely prefer the option of just strengthening up the knee so they can tolerate whatever you're putting it through and not compensate with the rest of the body however when you're talking about shoes and um I'd like to bring into the conversation maybe some running technique training. If we have a runner who is constantly getting knee pain and they're not too sure why, and then we look at their running and they have 
maybe a really low cadence, so how many steps they take per minute, if that is really low, evidence shows that if you increase that cadence by 5 to 10%, that can significantly reduce knee loads, sometimes by up to 20% is what the research shows. If we're looking at their running technique and they are a heel striker that strikes really far in front of their body and causing a lot of braking force, uh, the research shows that if we increase their cadence or do some technique gait retraining, that can definitely help reduce the load on the knee. It will increase load elsewhere in the body, but if someone has this chronic knee issue, we want to offload it and um, spread the load throughout the rest of the body, then they are definitely some really good options that you can explore. Definitely. Yeah, sounds like uh, great options and great suggestion. I'll make sure that your message is communicated back to a friend who was asking about that question. I'm not expert on that, but I was just I was gonna, just going to tell you what shoes he should get, but uh, definitely this will help. So let's talk about a little bit about um, stretching. You, you know, you have brought up that a few times. Uh, I don't do stretches as much as I would like to. What is the benefit of uh, stretching? Uh, when you're injured, you shouldn't be stretching, I guess. Uh, but let's talk through uh, uh, some of the stretching, stretching technique for a runner on things you do and things you suggest to your clients. Yeah, so I guess it would depend on the type of injury. I can't think of too many injuries per se, especially running-related injuries where stretching would be a part of my treatment. It's usually activity modification or changing their running routine and then getting them to build up strength. So strength is strength and capacity loading is the number one approach. It's where all the evidence shows for someone for an effective rehab. Um, stretching can be nice for people. If someone is injured, I think it's like a human innate um, sensation. Like they just want to feel like they're paying attention to that area and stretching it. Like if I, let's just say I do um, chest press the ne- like the day before and my chest is really sore the next day, just this general muscle soreness. I just like to stretch all day just because I want to pay attention to the area. It kind of feels good in the moment. Um, so that's where people tend to gravitate why stretching. Um, if they have knee pain, they feel like stretching is good in the moment. That's why they do it. But the evidence shows it's not going to improve recovery. You want to do the strengthening and you want to do the, the correct things. You don't want to continuously be overloading this knee. I think with plantar fasciitis, the I'm not too convinced of what stretching does do. I know that the evidence does show that stretching can help some people um, if you stretch that plantar fascia, but doesn't help others. But strengthening and building up the capacity tends to help everyone. So I like to say for plantar fascia, stretch and see if it makes things feel a little bit better, but everyone does need to have a strengthening component. You can't just do stretching and hope for the best and hope that that recovers Apart from that, I can't really think of any other running-related injuries where stretching is key. I should also point out as well that stretching, static stretching during a warm-up doesn't do anything to reduce the risk of injury either. Um, A lot of people think that they stretch for injury prevention, and the evidence just doesn't show that's the case either. If it feels good, do it. Um, If you're not injured and have a stretch routine that you've tried and you feel really nice afterwards and go for a run, you feel great, definitely still keep doing it if it feels good, but try not to convince yourself that it's to prevent injuries. Definitely. So so one other thing, um, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty myself stretching and um, trying to put time to stretch. You know, I don't do as much as I like to. Like you said, sometimes when I f- start feeling discomfort in areas, I usually try to go there that area and try to stretch a little bit. I, mean, I run a lot these days, so 
So definitely, I mean, definitely, <laughs> I need to put more time towards it. But I think, I think overall, it's it's helpful. Uh, some people like to stretch before, some people like to stretch after. But definitely, I like more runners to stretch, including myself. I put more time. But once you come from running or before, you just have such a limited time, like what we talked about. <laughs> it's so... yeah. Well, it's also like a lot of runners feel guilty that they don't stretch and they think that it might be hindering their running performance. But um, I can actually shed some light that actually might make you feel a bit better. <laughs> the actual stretching before a run doesn't do much. Like we, we know this, the evidence shows it doesn't do much for helping performance. We know that doesn't do much for injury prevention. And we know that doesn't do too much for active recovery or at least physically recovering the body. Like stretching won't help. If you have that delayed onset muscle soreness, it won't do anything to heal it any quicker. So what I like to encourage people to do is to try stretching for a couple of minutes, try stretching for a couple of seconds, try stretching for 10 minutes before a run and see what feels best for you. Because I know some individuals who will stretch for 20 minutes because they feel so much better once they get out running. Whereas I've tried so many different routines, warm-up routines, stretch routines. And if I get out of bed early in the morning and I feel a little bit stiff, um, I'll just do 10 seconds each muscle group and then start running that's my warm-up routine because that's where i feel the best like i could try stretching for five minutes and then i'd feel exactly the same whereas um other runners might not need to stretch at all they'll probably go through trial and error and do all these routines and find hey if i just start off like with a really slow speed and then just gradually work into it it feels exactly the same so sometimes that routine is best for others so runners don't necessarily need to feel guilty because they don't stretch because it's not a real crucial component to preparation, if that's if that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense, definitely. I'm like that, and you know, I, I sometimes you know, I just start slow and just picking up. You know, a lot of time I run trails and uh, I start from the hills and just uh, walk those hills, and I'm warmed up, start running. So definitely, there's a different way to do. I have a friend of mine who used to do ten minutes before we start running. He He's doing that stretching. He looked like he was dancing or something like that. I used to, <laughs> I say, what are you doing? Is that that's my routine of stretching? So definitely, different runners they have different way to do it. So here comes the next uh, big topic that uh, you talked about several times here already. We're talking about strength, strength training. Um, you know, for me, is uh, just running. I mean, my lower body is pretty strong. I feel uh, sometimes I find a spot that's uh, still has not. Uh, Test uh, from all the runnings I do, but overall, the upper body, I don't have a my strength training is not there. So overall, uh, let's talk about that strength training. What kind of techniques you you're talking about uh, for running, preventing, prevent injuries and so on. So so as a runner myself, I would really love to listen to that one. Yeah, we can't necessarily point to one bit of evidence that shows that strength training reduces or prevents causing running-related injuries. The evidence isn't there to make that bold claim. However, if we're talking about what I mentioned around capacity and the body adapting to different environments and getting stronger and increasing the load capacity, strength training makes a ton of sense. And the if you talk to all the running researchers who have um, published all these papers, they all recommend that a runner needs to be doing some sort of strength work twice a week. 
if anything, because it's going to make you a more resilient runner. If anything, it is going to make you perform better. We, there's a ton of evidence to show that strength training increases running performance. And then if it, the evidence doesn't necessarily show it reduces your risk of injury, but if it ends up reducing your risk of injury, that's just icing on the cake. And so where runners get it wrong when it comes to strength training, because the first hurdle is trying to convince them to strength train, which is a problem in itself. But if you eventually convince them, okay, I should start strength training twice a week, they get a gym membership or they buy some gym equipment and start doing it at home. What they start doing is body weight exercises. They start doing calf raises, lunges, squats, all body weight. They do really high reps, say like three sets of 15, 20, 25, and they think they're doing their strength training when in fact the evidence shows that if you want to become a more resilient runner and you want to increase performance, even like your endurance performance, like a marathon or a half marathon, you need to start training. You need to load up the weights safely and have the right technique. But once you eventually build up, it needs to be heavy and it needs to be around the four sets of eight to 10 rep range so that by the eighth rep or ninth rep, you're really struggling and it should be that heavy. Um, the body weight exercises just doesn't tap into the potential to um, carry over into running. And it sounds counterintuitive, and this is why it's a bit of a misconception, because people think that if they start packing on the weights and they start doing heavy squats or heavy lunges or heavy deadlifts, that they're going to be a bulky runner, they're going to put on too much weight, they're going to be too slow. The evidence shows that if you do strength training twice a week and you work heavy, and you also do running within the week, you are going to become a better runner. You are going to become more efficient with your running. Your running economy is going to improve and you're going to get better half marathon, marathon times. It actually improves your endurance. So it does sound counterintuitive, but that's why I have episodes on my podcast like this explaining the science and explaining exactly why the benefits do come about. Definitely. Uh, one other thing um, I'm trying this year uh climbing hills um, hill climbing is one of those big goal or my number one goal is to climb as much hills as possible part of that is to to build that strength uh, uh, part of my you know lower body you know overall we have smaller mountains here I'm, I'm originally from Nepal but I live in Alabama so around here we have smaller mountain but I've learned to make those mountains big and you know climb a lot so Talk about those, uh, you know, when you uh, when you do, you know, strength training, uh, not only at home, uh, you know, what we talked about, weight lifting and have a different type of exercise routine at home. But let's talk about when we when you go outside, how can we build the strength uh, as we as a runner, you know, sometimes running is the only thing we end up doing it. So let's talk about that a little bit. It's a good question. Um, the one thing that I would recommend for runners if they don't have let's say they don't have access to a gym or any weights or they just don't want to weight train they're as stubborn as they are and they just want to run i would say you want variety in your running if you want to become a resilient runner yes strength training will do the best job but the second best would be if you just wanted to run keeping some variety within your training sessions so that might be interval sessions that might be um doing like you said hills changing it up maybe changing to trail running rather than road running and changing direction uh, i do think when it comes to hills making sure that if you do offer the variety that you're doing it within your adaptation zone you're not going off and all of a sudden doing all these hills that are too much for you because that will 
surefire be a surefire way of you getting injured but if you slowly progress and slowly adapt to variety then you can throw anything at the body and it just won't break down there won't be that reaction and talking about you and your particular scenario as people do get older if they get into their fourth fifth sixth decade um, of their life and they're still a runner working on their calf strength and their achilles strength is really really important because we know that the power and the strength of the calf diminish um, a lot as you become a, a master's athlete a master's runner and so offering hills does spike the load through the calf or actually preserve a lot of the strength through the calf and the Achilles. So offering that variety is really nice to help um, build up the strength, preserve a lot of power, preserve a lot of um, calf components uh, because that could be really, really important in in the later decades of, of a runner. You see a lot of people, as soon as they get to their 50s, they just break down with multiple calf strains or Achilles tendinopathies Uh, plantar fasciitis and they just can't shake it it's just because they haven't um, like as the years have gone on the strength of their calf and achilles is just reduced 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 and then they get to the state that they're at with multiple calf strains so um, i do think there is a good way that a runner can provide variety Um, trails like i said trails hills all that sort of thing is really really good Um, mixing up the speed mixing up the distance mixing up the pace um, can be really nice but I don't think it can be a replacement for strength training. I think it is the next best bet, but it just won't be a good substitute if you um, can have access to a gym and heavy weights. It's just not offering, it's not tapping into the time under tension or like recruiting the same muscle fibers or recruiting the same tendon tension that you will if you say try and do like a hill run or something like that. Definitely. But whenever you talk about this strength training, uh, so what kind of training we talk about? You briefly mentioned that earlier. Let's let's go a little bit more because it seems like uh, you truly believe in this. I, I want to listen a little bit more on this. Sure. So you want to look at addressing your calf. Your calf is going to be an important one. So doing some weighted calf raises, either if you go to a gym or there, there'll be like some sort of weighted calf raise machine. Um, that will be super important. You do need to do your calf raises with a straight leg and also with a bent knee. And so that can be calf raises, like doing standing calf raises, keeping the knee bent the entire time. Or you can sit and have weights on top of your knees and do calf raises that way. So that taps into two different muscles of your calf. The the one where you're sitting uh, taps into more of your soleus muscle, which is the key muscle used for propulsion when you run. Um, because your knee is slightly bent when you do run. So people, when they decide to start strengthening their calves, they just do their standing calf raises with their knee completely straight. But when you run, your knees are slightly bent when you propel yourself forward. So you're tapping into the wrong type of muscles there. So I always recommend if you do work, strength work, you do some calf raises with a straight leg, you do some calf raises with a bent leg. Um, Make sure you offer those two varieties. And we're training so that once you eventually build up to the point where you're doing a true four sets of say eight reps, that would be that would be nice and healthy. There'll be something good for you to to work into. So calf raises are a good one. Um, deadlifts are a nice one if someone's used to doing a deadlift. If someone's used to doing squats, um, lunges, 
it just needs to offer those three, four exercises. It just needs to be that simple. So if you just do squats, lunges, deadlifts, calf raises, and slowly build up the strength so that you're working towards that four sets of eight reps, that that's all it needs to be. That's as simple as it is. And then if you want to do that twice a week, that's where you will improve your strength. If you, you still run throughout the week, if you're noticing that you're too sore through your runs, if you're doing your strength work and you're noticing that there's too much muscle soreness during the run starting to impact your your running routine um, potentially we need to take off the intensity of your strength training and we just need more time for your body to adapt because realistically yes you will be sore if you do something new but over three or four weeks or so the delayed onset muscle soreness would only last for one or two days and shouldn't interrupt your weekly running routine if you're noticing that your muscle soreness is lasting three or four days every single week you're probably doing too much and you probably need to be a bit more patient back off the weights and then slowly let the body get stronger and then slowly build up the weight that way and just make sure yeah it's not too disruptive to your running routine definitely sounds like something i want to try uh, do you have some of this uh, ideas uh, some of the some of the things you do or suggest on your website uh, on your podcast as well i was assuming you have some of those uh, you have discussed as well, correct? I did a whole season on strength training. There's um, four or five episodes on the benefits of strength training and talking about all the myths, talking about what dosages, what intensity, what exercises you should be working on. I actually interviewed an author whose name is uh, Richard Blagrove, and he is the author of Strength and Conditioning for Endurance Running and covers a whole bunch of busting myths, um, exactly how you should implement your running routine, um, so he is a researcher in the UK and yeah, interviewed him during my strength training season to talk about all of these things. But yeah, myself, like if you want to look at different variety, like I do have my Instagram account if you want to um, put that in the show notes as well. Weekly, I put out different running strengthening exercises that people can try. doesn't necessarily need to be heavy stuff. Like the stuff that I do post can be like rehab exercises that aren't as intense. So yeah, if people are looking for ideas, you can go there. Definitely. I'll put all the links, your podcast, everything in the, with this show notes. That's a great point. Um, you know, I, I'm this this 2021, uh, where it's turning already. So I'm, I wanted to improve my running running strength. Uh, that is the one of my goals for this year. I, in the past, I used to go week by week running marathons or ultra marathons city by city you know <laughs> things like that uh, by now I would have run like three or four marathons already so depending on the schedule but but now i haven't done anything this year probably i won't have anything so so i would definitely like to use that time i have um for not running races to do some of the you know some of the things uh including like what what we discussed uh what what i'm trying to do building the strength can I maybe clarify a few things? When it comes to strength training, yes, we do want to increase the weights, but it might take months and months for someone to get to that stage. Like if you're just starting out, if you haven't done a lot of strength work before, you might want to start at three sets of 12 reps at a really light weight. Um, you might want to start at body weight even um, because you're doing something new. But the goal should be just to slowly, slowly, week by week, start doing heavier and heavier stuff so that the end goal is around four sets of eight reps, eight to 10 reps. But the body needs to, like anything, needs to adapt and get stronger along the way. We can't just necessarily go straight to doing some heavy stuff where 
your technique might not be ideal and you might not have the strength to maintain a good technique and just push yourself beyond the adaptation zone and because we don't want you to get injured as soon as you go start some strength training because it's too heavy. So a bit of word of warning, I guess. <laughs> Definitely. We rather know that, you know, we, you know, we started from block by block, mile by mile. Running one mile used to be a difficult task. Now I can run 100 miles. So definitely um, this this is a great uh, great point there, uh, Brody. So we'll we'll definitely put that uh, part of a uh, big part of this uh, this podcast to take away. Uh, so before we uh, we close, uh, let's talk about injury myth uh, you talked about briefly earlier this podcast i would like to listen to sure if we dive into um any particular myth i think one of the injury myths that go out there is one um running is bad for your knees well that's one myth that i constantly see particularly non-runners tend to come up with this one oh why are you running it's bad for your knees or a doctor might say why are you still running running's bad for your knees that could be a really common one and the research shows that not only is running not bad for your knees but running is actually good and healthy for your knees because it actually builds up a lot of strength and as you impact the ground it actually triggers a lot of shock through your body which actually triggers growth and adaptation and that would be to your bone density it would be to your cartilage as you impact the ground the cartilage actually stimulates growth and so when we look at the evidence and look at recreational runners they actually have a less prevalence of developing say knee osteoarthritis compared to sedentary populations because First of all, you're keeping a good body weight. Secondly, you're keeping quite strong. Your knees will be quite strong. And two, you're offering this constant ground reaction force that's stimulating cartilage growth. And so as long as your dosages are within limits and as long as you don't just go nuts and have huge spikes in training load, running can actually be really, really good for your knees. The other myths that kind of circulate around there is the, I guess we've touched on it, already but kind of the benefits of stretching and foam rolling and it seems that foam rolling seems to cure all injuries for some reason i don't know why (laughs) because the evidence doesn't support it but especially runners they like to feel pain they like to put themselves through a bit of pain when it comes to the foam roller they love to hate it that kind of um, scenario and who knows like in the individual cases foam rolling might help someone feel better but when it comes to our understanding of pathologies and our understanding of what it's actually doing it's not doing anything to heal. It doesn't have any healing properties. It doesn't do anything to return the injured area to a state where you can run. So I guess that's another myth that we can talk about as well. The other, I guess, um, treatment approaches that might be a bit hit and miss sometimes, obviously it depends on the individual, but things like um, massage, releasing, trigger point release, all that sort of stuff. I actually had a massage therapist on um, to talk about the evidence of massage. It was a really nice discussion on my podcast, pretty much talking about the benefits of massage. And it's usually a lot of it is psychological. A lot of it is um, calming down the central nervous system rather than convincing people that you're releasing this particular trigger point or that your yeah certain fascia needs to be released in order to heal. Those claims and those actual properties just don't exist in the science. But what we do know is massage makes people feel better, but why it's making people feel better might be different to what they're actually being told is happening. I might be opening up a can of worms a little bit, um, but I'll briefly touch on it. If anyone's been told that they get injured because they have flat feet, that is also incorrect. Um, the evidence doesn't show that people with flat feet get injured any more than other runners. In fact, if you look at some 
studies that are out there that follow a lot of runners with a big sample size, the runners that pronate and have flat feet actually get injured less than people who have a neutral foot or a supinated foot. And if someone has convinced people with flat feet that they need supportive shoes, again, that's another injury myth that we need to bust. And I do go into detail on the podcast because it could be just a a half hour, hour discussion on its own, but um, something that people need to be aware of. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like we need to come back and talk a little bit more on on some of this detail on the, some of this topic. Uh, definitely. Uh, what about the important pronation? I think uh, you know I, I pronate certain weights. Is that a part of the injury? Is it's just part natural part of our our body? Correct. What pronation does is pronation is a healthy motion that the body needs to go through in order to slowly absorb the load as you hit the ground. If you hit the ground and everything was just a rigid lever, like the amount of shock that would go through your body would just be too much because every step is two to three times your body weight. Um, We just can't handle that load. And so what the body does really nice is that eccentrically controls how we impact the ground. So we do it a little bit more slowly or in in stages. So the knees a little bit bent, um, the hips are a little bit flexed, and your your foot starts to slowly pronate and it it almost slowly absorbs the the impact over time over a couple of milliseconds rather than just an instant bang we've hit the ground and so pronation does a really good job of absorbing that load and so it's really healthy that we do pronate it's actually a good movement that we do there might be some certain circumstances where a runner um, puts them at a little bit of a disadvantage let's just say their hips drop a little bit too much or their knee cuts in a little bit or they contact the ground what we call a crossover running pattern there's some slowly emerging evidence that those factors can contribute to a risk of injury, but that's just putting the body at a mechanical disadvantage rather than the pronation itself, which is probably why the evidence shows that people who do pronate actually get injured less because they're just absorbing the load over longer periods of time and not just getting a smack bang load coming from the ground up into their body. Um, So yeah, these are things that I see constantly. People think that they They've been told that they pronate and they've been told that this is the cause of the injury or why they're constantly getting injured at the knees and their hips and why they should have these supportive shoes or why they should buy these orthotics. And a lot of it is a marketing ploy. A lot of it is being um, like a lot of advertisement money being flooded into why orthotics are beneficial um, or why they need a certain type of shoe, which just isn't evidence-based at all. Definitely. And talk about shoes, uh, the way I pronate is, yeah, my shoes are uh, chopped off after some part of my shoes chopped off and uh, <laughs> it's like okay time to replace the shoes looking at my shoes because i pronate so much i guess sometimes i drag too much because you know ultra runners we uh, we run a lot and then you know we're tired and not we have we there's a call ultra shuffle so we just mm-hmm. shuffle just enough to you know move forward keep moving forward you can often reason with a runner saying that let's just say they get injured let's just say you start getting plantar fasciitis and you've been running for you know 15 years and this is the first case of plantar fasciitis that you've had and then you go to a podiatrist or a physio and they say oh look you're pronating this must be the reason why you're getting this plantar fascia uh, this plantar fasciitis and you do need orthotics to correct this pronation because otherwise you're putting too much load through the plantar fascia and that's why it's getting injured but if you can reason with the runner you think hang on You've been running that same way, the exact same time, every time for the last 10 years and you haven't had plantar fasciitis before, what's changed? And then 
what might have happened is you've kept your running exactly the same except you've ran too much. Like mm-hmm. you've gone from running 50 miles a week to running 80 miles a week and then you've got plantar fasciitis. Maybe it isn't the pronation at all because the pronation has been there your entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's the spike in training load. Definitely, yeah. That makes sense. Brody, it has been really great to talk to you. I've learned so much about injury, injury prevention, uh, strength, strength training. Before we close this podcast, uh, I would like to uh, give our listener a words of advice uh, about uh, take our, our running to next level through, you know, injury-free running. Uh, give us a words of advice how to stay healthy and injury-free as much as possible. Sure, I'd love to. I know I've hummed on about it a little bit, but one, if you're not strength training, you definitely should start some strength training. Um, that'd be my number one advice. The number two advice, which would be very closely linked to number one, um, make sure you just don't do anything outside of your adaptation zone, making sure we don't have those quick, abrupt changes in your training. It can just be that simple, making sure that you hit your adaptation zone when you're running. You don't just have these huge spikes in training load. Consistency is the key. Um, consistency allows muscle adaptation and body adaptation. And so if you have to train for a trail or a marathon that's way outside your current adaptation zone make sure you allow enough time to train for it and make sure you're doing so sensibly and just making gradual steps forward towards that goal instead of having these huge abrupt changes if you do that and you're doing your strength training as well you're going to make huge um, wavelengths you're going to survive and thrive as a runner if i can fit in a third one if you are doing really intense mileage if you're building up your mileage more and more and more you need to prioritize recovery more and more and more it needs to be higher on the priority list the more mileage you decide to do so that is getting a really good nice quality sleep and if you have moment in life that you're maybe you've had a new baby or maybe you've had a stressful job promotion or you're moving house and the the sleep the quality of sleep has um, gone down Make sure you're not just doing a big mileage week, making sure you're not combining those two because you're not going to recover and you're going to increase your risk of injury. Once you're back to getting good quality sleep, then you can start building on the mileage. So that will be my three takeaways, I guess. Great takeaways, great uh, advice, a lot of knowledge you have put into this podcast today. Uh, Thanks for your time and uh, look forward to bringing you back here at Emirates Podcast and uh, talk a little bit more. Stay safe uh, uh, down down under, and uh, we will uh, talk more soon. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.